Okay, today's reading is in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 to 11. It can be found on page 1153 in the Church Bibles. So it's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 11, on page 1153. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to dumb idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone it is the same God at work. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Lovely to have you here uh, today. Francis Schaeffer was one of the greatest evangelists of the 20th century, and he was known uh, for his fantastic apologetics and uh, Bible teaching, he founded something, uh, or the shelter in uh, Switzerland, and had a profound impact on disillusioned uh, intellectuals from all over Europe who travelled there and uh, found faith. And many were converted to Jesus Christ at Labrie, and it was really the beginnings of a wonderful work of God. However, in his late 30s, he acknowledged that he began to struggle with the sense of the spiritual reality that he was speaking about. Uh, He, in fact, began to question whether uh, the Christian faith was true at all. And he uh, writes about it um, extensively, uh, that he went for long walks in the Alps, and uh, when it was rainy, he wandered up and down the hayloft, and he was desperately seeking um, God. And and, um, during that time, uh, he really rediscovered the spiritual reality that he'd been craving. And he writes that, Gradually, the sun came out and the song came and uh, the how of the Christian life became clear to him. It's the power of the crucified and risen Lord Jesus through the agency of the indwelling Holy Spirit, moment by moment, by faith each day. And he wrote up uh, his experience in a book called True Spirituality, which if you've not read any Schaefer, it's a very, very good uh, book. And he explains in that book how um, he was... um, Living as if it's, it's okay for Christians to be born again, to be brought into relationship with God. But what does it mean to have a life once you've been born again? You started out, what does it mean to actually live your life for Jesus Christ? He had a new birth, he says, but I didn't have a new life. And the Christian life is as much about um, um, living for Jesus Christ in the power of his spirit as it is about being born again in the first place. It's not just about starting, it's about carrying on. And the fact is, Schaefer concludes, that God sent his spirit to make relationship with himself real. No doubt about the truthfulness of 
uh, the gospel, the truthfulness of Jesus Christ, but the Holy Spirit sent by God to make that truth real in someone's life. Well, we're thinking about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit this term. We're thinking about it particularly tonight as well. Opportunity for questions and, and discussion there. Uh, but if you've got your Bibles, now's the time to grab one and open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's on page uh, 1153. And uh, those of you who are new to Highfields, uh, we've been studying this uh, wonderful uh, book by Paul uh, to a first century church called uh, the Church in Corinth over the last year or so. And we're um, carrying on our studies. And God willing, from here till Christmas, we're looking at chapters 12, 13 and 14. And today it's particularly uh, chapter 12 verses 1 to 11. But as we embark on this new series, a few little introductory comments to this particular topic. Um, because you know, maybe as you heard um, uh, the passage being uh, read out, and uh, maybe you've read it in advance and you've studied it maybe before, you will know that some of the verses and concepts that we're looking at over the course of today and over the course of the next few weeks are verses and concepts that Bible-believing Christians disagree over. I've just got to acknowledge and kind of flag that up right at the very outset. The, the fact is, people who I love and Christian leaders who I respect and have a high view of scripture, land in different places on some of the things we'll be looking at this term. Particularly on the role of uh, miraculous gifts, and especially uh, what we might call the gift of prophecy, and the gift of tongues, and how and why and whether they do or do not fit into church life today. Um, even within Highfields, um, as a staff team and an eldership, even church members, there's no kind of evangelical party line on a number of the topics which we're looking at over the course of the next uh, uh, few weeks on some of these issues. Uh, here at Highfields, we do like to say that we keep the main thing, the main thing, and that the main thing is the good news of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, his raising from the grave, as revealed in the Bible, God's inerrant and sufficient word for life today. That's what we really want to emphasise. They are the givens that unite us as a church, unite us as a leadership and um, as a gospel-teaching, Bible-loving church, we want to rightly maintain those as our emphases. So you may be thinking, why are we going to be studying non-main things? Yeah, if we want to keep the main thing the main thing, why ever study non-main things? Uh, why would you ever look at a passage where Christians can validly disagree with each other over, just kind of gloss over them, pretend they're not there, and just kind of bounce over to the next bit that we all agree on? You might think, well, that leads me to the second point. First point is Christians disagree here. Secondly, we are committed here at Highfield to teaching the Bible, even the hard bits. And the fact is, in God's providence, he arranged for these verses to be written. And part of being a gospel-teaching, Bible-loving church, which believes in something called expository preaching, uh, rather than editing out the awkward bits or just doing the kind of greatest hits of 1 Corinthians that everyone agrees on, we believe that God has called us to study the next part of the Bible and next week it's the next part of the Bible and so on and so forth. And if the Lord in his providence by his spirit inspired Paul to write some things that we might find challenging, then who are we to do a cut and paste job on him and pretend they're not there? They are there. Non-main things are in the Bible and so we need to look at them. Um, so, so what we've said, we've seen, you know, we're studying bits of the Bible that not all Christians agree on, that if we are Bible Christians, we need to study all of the Bible. Paul talks about preaching the whole counsel of God, and that's what we want to do here at Highfields. And that's um, really the, the principle that lies behind the very first verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. So look down in our Bible passage, 1153 is the page number, it's big number 12, that's the chapter. 
Now about the gifts of the spirit, literally spiritual things. It could be spiritual people, spiritual things, spiritual gifts. Brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Well, I sadly have to say, I think lots of us are a little bit uninformed about how we're to make sense of the spiritual gifts. What, what are we to make sense of them? We don't want to be. Which means, given points one and two in terms of intro, point three, we need to approach this with humility. With absolute humility. Uh, the fact is, uh, generally Christians, um, and Bible Christians particularly, have fallen into two camps in studying the miraculous gifts of the Spirit. On the one hand, you might uh, call a group of people uh, cessationists, though not sensationists, but cessationists, as in ceasing, uh, claiming that some gifts, um, particularly the miraculous gifts like prophecy and tongues and miracles and so forth, ceased after the apostolic age, after the first century when the Bible was written up. And they're particularly there to kind of authenticate the, the gospel message about Jesus. But those gifts have ceased. Not to say God can't do miracles and can't heal people, but those gifts have ceased. On the other hand, are what you might call continuationists. People who claim that all the gifts continue through to today. Now, I have to say, I've studied this a lot over the years and a lot quite recently. And there are very good and, and maybe some not so good arguments for both sides of that. Really, really realise if if heroes of the faith like... Martin Lloyd-Jones or J.I. Packer or Wayne Grudem or Sinclair Ferguson can't agree if those names mean something to you. Well, you know, if they don't, no worries. But if, if they do, if they can't agree, then and they land in different places. And we need to work really, really hard, yes, at the text and yes, at our humility. Because, you know, I'm not suddenly going to you know, shine the light that, oh, of course, we all know this. I actually think there's a far more in common that we have. So there will be places where we might disagree, that's okay, but there's far more in common that we can learn together. And uh, we need to do so as generously and as humbly as we can. And, and one of the advantages to, to, to preaching here at Highfield is that we don't need to rush. So we, we've chopped up um, uh, these three chapters into f- six studies. So um, sometimes you might kind of race through it all, but we're going to take our time and really get into what we think God is saying to us uh, from his word. And then the other thing by way of introduction is to say, um, this evening, on the term card you may have seen, but we've planned a, a Facebook evening where it's a bit more of a, a seminar style teaching with Q&A, thinking about the wider doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Uh, inevitably this morning, we're going to be focusing mainly on this passage in front of us. And over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the main passages in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. But um, those passages fit in a wider biblical theological context of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. So if you want to kind of piece that all together, then come back tonight. We'll try and answer some of the questions. We won't get through all the questions because we're going to allow the text to speak into that as the weeks go on. So don't expect too much from tonight, but that's the plan. Um, Because um, my prayer really is that we will produce more light than heat as we study together. It's, It's so easy in these kind of Areas to kind of lob grenades from one side to the other. It says, oh, that side doesn't believe the Bible or is obsessed with emotions kind of thing. Or then the other side throws it back and says, well, that side's all just intellectualism and anti-supernatural and don't expect God to work, etc. No, we don't want to do that. We want to be Bible people who expect God to work. And uh, how ironic it would be in our study of 1 Corinthians if we didn't come away more united. <laughs> because the big thing is unity. In our diversity. So I'm going to pray at this point and say, Lord, please, would you keep us humble as we study this challenging passage um, that is in your word? Okay? So let's just bow our heads for one last time and say a short prayer. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you that all scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. Lord, we recognise that some passages are more straightforward than others. We recognise that this passage and other passages this term, we know that Bible Christians disagree on. And so uh, we want to take uh, an approach that reflects the, the posture that you would have us take, which is one of humility and generosity and wanting to listen to your voice in the scriptures and listen to each other and uh, finding uh, a common ground that holds high the truths that we find here and is fully dependent on your spirit each day. So please lead our discussion now, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, we're going to see two things, two important points about the work of the Holy Spirit from chapter 12, 1 to uh, 11. Actually, we're going to jump down to a few verses at the start of chapter, uh, at the start of um, the next section. And we're going to try and apply it. And, and uh, here's our first point. We, we are desperate for the Spirit to, to be at work in our midst because he is the saving Spirit. Um, or how to spot the, the Holy Spirit's presence. That's the big theme of these first three verses. The saving Spirit or how to spot the Holy Spirit's presence. Look down again, verse 1. Now about the gifts of the Spirit. Literally spiritual matters, as I say, could be people, could be things. Pneumatikoi is the word. Uh, Brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now, whenever we dive into a Bible passage, we've got to set the context right. We do that a lot here. Um, To remind you of the context, Paul is in correspondence with this church in Corinth. He's the guy who planted it a few years ago, uh, a few years before uh, writing the, the letter, and uh, has had a letter from them, and he's responding to that letter himself. And he has said things like, now about sex and relationships at the start of chapter 7. Or now about singleness, chapter 7, verse 25. Now about food, sacrifice to idols, chapter 8, verse 1. Now about spiritual gifts, spiritual matters, chapter 12, verse 1. And so there's a bit of a challenge that we have as we study today, because we're listening to one end of a telephone conversation. And we don't know what they're saying and what they're doing the other end of the line. We just get the Paul end of the line, not the Corinthians end of the line. Uh, We get a bit of a sense about what's going on in the Corinthians end of the line by what we hear Paul say. Uh, We hear him talk about great division within the church uh, family, particularly about um, the Spirit's work. Um, Incidentally... um, In the middle of the sections that we're looking at over the next uh, few months, chapters 12, 13 and 14, guess what? It's chapter 13. And that's really interesting, I think. Because, you know, I guess if if you're married here today, many of us used and have had 1 Corinthians chapter 13 read in weddings. And it's a glorious chapter, one of the most famous chapters in the whole of the scriptures about the beauty of love. But the context for that chapter Beginning of verse 1, chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. We often read those verses as a kind of warming meditation on the glories and beauty of love, don't we? But it's actually a stinging rebuke to the Corinthians, when read in context. Uh, because the fact is that the church, instead of being concerned about other people and other people's centeredness, there was actually pride. And there was jealousy. And there was um, a kind of one-upmanship which prided itself. At, look at me, look at my amazing gifts. Look what I can do, how impressive I am. It seems that some within the church were obsessed with these supernatural, miraculous gifts of the Spirit. And particularly the gift of speaking in tongues. Uh, which we might kind of define as the ability to speak to God in a language not your own. 
So let's just have that as a kind of working definition. The, the, uh, the ability to speak to God in a language not your own. And it seems that that's the big issue in chapters 12, 13 and 14. In fact, I did a head count earlier and there are 21 times the word tongues is used. Languages, it's the same word. Tongues, languages. And uh, we'll study this in depth uh, later in November when we look at chapter 14. But it seems that uh, there were some people within the church in Corinth who were saying that unless you spoke in tongues, then you probably didn't have the spirit. And uh, therefore you were basically a bit of a second class Christian, a second class citizen, maybe not even a Christian at all because you didn't have that gift. Uh, One church pastor, Ian Garrett, describes uh, the Corinthians treating of um, the gift of tongues a bit like an acid test of someone's spirituality. I don't know if you remember acid tests from school. My sister-in-law is a chemistry teacher. Do you remember when you studied chemistry, you remember the test for an acid? Can anyone remember that? what that is? You've got an acid which is colourless, odourless, and um, looks a lot like water. But you don't want to drink acid, especially kind of potent acid. And so what do you do? You do the litmus test, and you take a little bit of blue paper, and you stick it in, and if it turns red, it's an acid, the acid test. Well, how do you spot whether someone has the spirit, God's Holy Spirit living within them. How can you spot if someone has been born again? How can you spot if someone is a Christian or not? It's really important to get that one right, isn't it? Really important. You don't want to accidentally be thinking, oh yeah, that's me. It's not me, because I've got my tests wrong. Or it's not me when actually it is me, etc. You don't want to get your tests wrong. And some in the Corinthian church, I think we're, we're, we're thinking you can spot it by whether someone speaks in tongues. Because that's the real thing you need to have. And so those who had the gift used every opportunity to kind of promote how wonderful they were. That they were spiritual beings who could speak in tongues. And if you couldn't do that, you were a bit of a second class citizen, it felt like. Which is why it's so helpful that Paul begins where he does in chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. And he takes them back to their pre-Christian days. So look down a little number two, we call it verses, uh, verse two. You know that when you were pagans, which is another word for someone who's not yet a Christian. When you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to dumb idols. That's not stupid idols, that's speechless idols, just to be clear. Um, First century Corinth was a religious melting pot. There were temples everywhere you looked, and famously at the top of um, um, a hill looking over Corinth was the temple to Aphrodite, the, the, the goddess of love. And the point Paul is making here is that whether you consider yourself religious or not, everyone is a worshipper. You can't not be a worshipper. Whether or not you're a Christian or a Muslim or a Hindu or Jew, we're all worshippers, born worshippers. And for idol, where it says idol, read anything created that is treated like it's the creator. It's put on the absolute number one place in someone's life. That's what an idol is. That's, you know, so, so naturally speaking, outside of Jesus Christ, every single one of us was under the influence, under the spell of idols. I don't know what that would be for, for you. For our culture, I'm sure many in our culture are under the influence of success. Just get me success. And that will make my life complete. Get me, or someone's under the influence of money, just get me all the things I can get. Or other people are under the influence of people's approval, the idol of people's approval. I need the likes, the smiles, the affection. Maybe I've never had it growing up and so I'm craving it wherever I can find it. Or the, the idol of freedom. 
just want to be able to do what I want and have no constraints. Or maybe the idol of beauty. I long to have the perfect face or the perfect clothes or the perfect body. And that is my absolute number one. A created thing that is being treated like it's a creator. And Paul is saying that when Jesus Christ calls us to follow him, he calls us to turn away from dumb, speechless, impotent idols and turn instead to the living and the true God. But that's not something you can just rustle up at a whim. Yeah, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to just turn around from worshipping idols to worshipping God instead. Because idols are powerful. They're entrancing. They're hypnotic. No, people just walk away from those things. You can't just leave an idol like that. Maybe you're talking to a friend about Christianity and your faith. Maybe you were brought a friend to those fantastic talks last weekend with Glenn Scrivener or you've given them a copy of his book and you, you think, amazing talk. And they're like, didn't get it. Didn't get it at all. You read a book or they read a bit of the gospel. Don't get it. Like, how are you not getting it? This is awesome. Jesus is real. He died. How are you not getting it? Because God's spirit hasn't changed their life. They're still under the influence of idols. But for someone to become a Christian, amazingly, God does delight to do supernatural works in the lives of people. He opens the eyes. We've sung of it. The children have sung of it, doing all the actions. He makes the blind to see. He brings new life to the dead. He does kind of spiritual open heart surgery and gets in there. And he changes someone's heart by his spirit. Taking out a hard heart that doesn't love Jesus and puts in a soft heart that does. So check out little number three, verse three. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the spirit of God says Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. We sometimes sing, I was blinded by my sin, had no ears to hear your voice, did not know your love within, had no taste for heaven's joys. They meant nothing to me. Then your spirit gave me life. Opened up your word to me. Through the gospel of your son gave me endless hope and peace. In other words, the acid test for being a Christian. The acid test for having the spirit within you. Is that you said sorry for living for yourself and for idols over there. Thank you Jesus for dying and rising for me. Please help me to live with him as my Lord now. I want to worship him as my Lord. The New Testament makes it crystal clear. There are only two kinds of people. There are those who reject Jesus as their saviour and lord. And I guess that's Paul's way. He would say, saying, Jesus, be cursed. Go away. I'm going to live for I Live for the things I'm under the influence of. Thank you very much. Or those who worship Jesus as lord and as saviour and friend as a result of the Holy Spirit's work in their life. So if you're a Christian here today, you have the Holy Spirit. And if you're not a Christian here today, you don't. It's not a kind of third category of person who is a Christian but doesn't have the spirit. So here's a couple of uh, Bible verses from elsewhere in the New Testament that make this crystal clear. Here's Romans 8 verse 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh. This is Paul writing to believers. You're not in the realm of the flesh but in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. You, don't have, don't have the spirit, you don't belong to Jesus. Or here's John 3 verse 5. This is John, uh, Jesus talking to Nicodemus. Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. In other words, they need to be spiritually washed, 
clean and regenerated, given a brand new heart inside them. In fact, uh, the passage which we're looking at in a few weeks' time in chapter uh, 12, which Michael's speaking, I'm not going to steal his thunder, but here's uh, chapter 12, verse uh, 13. For we were all, this is speaking of Christians, baptised by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now, sometimes people read that and get a bit thrown by the language of baptised by the spirit, baptism of the Holy Spirit. And some people say, is that a kind of second blessing? You become a Christian and then months and years down the line you get baptised in the Spirit. I don't think so, according to what Paul says here. It seems to be very clear. We, who's he saying? We were all, all of us, believers in Christ, members of the body of Christ, were baptised in the Spirit, plunged into the Spirit when we became Christians. As the Spirit powerfully convicts someone that they're living for themselves and for idols and changes their heart. So they want to love God and set them apart so they want to serve God. Now you may have other questions about that and you're very welcome to come tonight. We'll try and uh, deal with them. But at this point, point one, the saving spirit. A really good diagnostic question as to whether we've received God's spirit. Because that's, a, I hope, a really important question. If, is this a glass of water? Is it a glass of hydrochloric acid? You've you got to get that right. You've got to get, have I received God's spirit? Right. That's a really important question. So here's a question. Is my heart's desire and my daily aim to please Jesus as my Lord? Is my heart's desire and my daily aim to please Jesus as my Lord? If that is the case, if you would answer yes to that, not faultlessly, by the way. Of course, we're not going to do it faultlessly until uh, Jesus comes back. But if that genuinely is our longing and our desire, then Paul would say only someone with the Holy Spirit can say yes to that. Only a born again person can say that, say yes to that. It's not, the the, the, the diagnostic test is not, have you had a powerful conversion experience where suddenly the lights came on and you were once a complete rebel and now the, the light shone like Paul on the road to Damascus. That's not what we're looking for. It's not that you've had a powerful post-conversion experience. It's not that someone can speak in tongues. Which I remember when I was a, a young Christian, you know, someone said to me, have you spoken in tongues? Implication, if I haven't done that, I'm not yet there. Now, point one, the Spirit saves. That's how to spot the Spirit's present in someone's life. It's the acid test. That's our first point. I, I guess as I, as I wrap that one up, just to say, if you're not a Christian here today, and you think, I'd love to believe, I can't. I've heard stuff, it just doesn't make sense to me. And You know, I want to say to you, God loves to hear the prayer, I believe, Lord help my unbelief. Please give me your spirit that I might believe in Jesus as my Lord. He loves to hear that prayer. Give you his spirit so that you can believe too. Point one, the saving spirit. Here's our second point, a bit more brief this one, the generous spirit. Or how to understand the Holy Spirit's gifts. That's verses 4 to 11. And we've got a lot of passage still to study. We've been going on for a while. So we're not going to go through this into huge detail. But remember the background is some in the church are saying and obsessing really over one particular spiritual gift. The gift of speaking in tongues. And uh, it's a bit like a staff secret Santa. Which is still a few months away. But get planning in advance if you're one of those people who does a secret Santa. Everyone's opening up their gifts at the staff secret Santa. Trying to be enthusiastic about a pair of handkerchiefs or a packet of notelets yes 
or jar of Marmite. Thank you very much. It's lovely. And then someone like opened up this enormous box of Hotel Chocolate chocolates. I'm like, oh my goodness, we want those. And that's what we all want. And uh, maybe you know, people in Corinth are seeing the gift of tongues like, get that's the one we want. Forget everything else. That's the thing. So verses 4 to 11, Paul corrects our understanding of how the Holy Spirit gifts people within the church. Um, Ian Garrett, a pastor in Newcastle, gives a helpful working definition of a spiritual gift. He says, a spiritual gift is an ability or activity which the Spirit uses for another's spiritual good. I think that's a nice uh, line, a working definition. An ability or an activity which the Spirit uses for another's spiritual good. So what does Paul want to teach the Corinthians about spiritual gifts? And uh, we're going to see loads about spiritual gifts over the few weeks, but here's three brief take-homes from the rest of our passage uh, that we've got while we're together. Uh, First take-home, God gives a diversity of gifts, not just one. God gives a diversity of gifts, not just one. Look down in verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, and in everyone, it is the same God at work. And one thing which I think is lovely about those few verses is that we worship a triune God, one God in three persons, unity and diversity. So we shouldn't be surprised if he gave a diversity of gifts to his united church. He doesn't just give one kind of gift to everyone. He gives loads of different kinds of gifts uh, to people. So we'll see if you look closely. Verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit, that's God, the Holy Spirit, who distributes gifts. Verse 5, there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. That's, I think, referring to God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We've just had him referred to in in verse 3, Jesus as Lord. He's the one we're serving, after all, as the head of the body. And there are different kinds of working in verse 6, but all of them, and in everyone, it's the same God at work. Here, I think it's referring to God the Father, sovereignly working in and through and over it all. So, no surprises. We have a triune God, unity and diversity, so he gives gifts to one church diversely. So jump down to verse 8 and we'll see what this diversity looks like. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, the interpretation of tongues. Now, we can't go through all that in kind of fine detail, but just to say, this is one passage among four other passages, um, or three other passages, so altogether there are four passages that give lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. So there's this passage here, which kind of concludes at the end of chapter 12. Um, Then the other ones for your notes are Romans chapter 12, verses 4 to 8, and uh, 1 Peter 4, verses 10 to 11, and Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And uh, altogether, there are, you know, Many more gifts than are given here. So this list of gifts can't be an exhaustive list. Um, It it seems that the gifts that uh, the Holy Spirit uh, has given his church tend to cluster around gifts of word. So uh, gifts of uh, message of wisdom, prophecy, tongues, interpreting tongues, that kind of thing. Word gifts and deed gifts. So faith, miraculous powers, distinguishing the spirits, service, mercy, etc. So word gifts, deed gifts. And we're not going to go into all the, the... the kind of the details right now will get lost in the in the in the wood for the trees but 
I guess right now, it's so important to, to remember that our Father loves diversity. He loves giving different gifts out to people. That's the main point I want to, to, to drill into right now. He knows that much needs to be done for him. And uh, he never asks people to do things for him without equipping them first. That's good news, isn't it? There's a lovely line at the end of uh, Hebrews chapter 3 that says, um, it describes uh, the great shepherd of the sheep who equips you with everything good for doing his will, that he may work in us what's pleasing to him. You, he wants, you want to do something for God? Well, he'll equip you to do what he wants you to do. And in his sovereignty and his creative and his generous heart, he has given different people different gifts. We make ice cubes, God makes snowflakes, every single one of them different. And we must never try to clone each other, as John Reed today, that's totally accidental. But, I mean, seriously, it, I've got to get, stand up, Reed, like, this is ridiculous, like, we're in identical clothing. That's not God's plan, and so maybe I'll change my clothing for the second service. Um, but it, you know, we're not clones of each other, we are different. And in God's providence this weekend, we have this ministry fair where we will have a chance to see the variety of needs and opportunities to serve and use our gifts in the body of Christ here at Highfields, down after service in the, in the, uh, the Pierce Hall. You see, it's so easy to come to church in consumer mode, isn't it? And uh, maybe you've got a busy week, just, just come feed me up like it's a service station, then I'll clear off and carry on. No, here at Highfields, we're passionate about what we call every member ministry. It's not that the only people who do ministry are the ministers. Several years ago, we changed our titles, actually. We used to be called ministers. We're now called pastors. We are called a shepherd. That's our ministry. But we all are within the church family. So that's the first point. God gives a diversity of gifts, not just one. Second take home, God gives gifts to everyone in the church. Uh, look at verse 7. Now, to each, of, each one, the manifestation of the Spirit, and manifestation there is a visible demonstration that you can see, that... Each one, the manifestation of the Spirit, is given. Uh, so we can't see the Spirit, you know, just like we can't see the wind, where it's come from, where it's going, Jesus said to Nicodemus. But we can see what he does in every single member of the body. And the same point is made in verse 11. Look down. All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one. That's the phrase. You get it in verse 11, each one. You get it in uh, verse 7. Now, to each one. Now, I'm not actually going to labour the point here because this is the main focus of next time's study in uh, chapter 12 to 31. Uh, sorry, verse 12 to 31. But just a little teaser. Um, often, I think it's possible to come to a large church like Highfields and think, there's nothing for me to do here. You know, honestly, what can I contribute to this kind of big machinery? Wrong. Absolutely wrong. We all have a gift. Unique to you unique to me a diversity of gifts we're not all the same but if you've got a gift and you have got a gift because we've all got a gift you need to use it and we can't be like those stewards of things that you remember jesus parable where we've been given something and we just hide it in the ground and hope that one day you know, when he, jesus comes back oh here's your gift again no use the gift you've been given so running your eye over 1 corinthians 12 you know, how might you serve the body here it's got to make us ask that question uh, in fact, one of the things that the members, are, uh, the elders asked new uh, church members as they're having their interviews is how might you serve within the church family? What gifts do you think that you have? There are so many needs within Highfields where we can serve, whether that's children or youth or students work, whether it's in kind of practical service like preparing communion or preparing refreshments or welcoming or stewarding or music, whether it's in a helping with our finances or being a generous steward of what you've been given financially 
and so forth. And sometimes we think, you know, you know, can we really get this thing going? And then I remember, we're a big church, and that means we've got lots of people, which means there are lots of gifts here. So what an amazing vision this would be if we all use the gifts we've been given to serve Christ. What a blessing that would be. And uh, I think we'd be okay knowing that. So that's the second uh, take home. God gives gifts to everyone in the church. And here's our third and very brief final take home. God gives gifts for the common good, not for selfish gain. Common good, not for selfish gain. It's very possible to use a gift badly. You can either bury it in the ground and pretend it's not there until Jesus comes back. Or you can hog on to it like it's a massive box of hotel chocolate. Like, nah, get off, I'm having these for me. Or I use it in an outward focus kind of way. Paul's last vital command here um, that you see so clearly, verse 7, each one of, of the manifestations of the Spirit is given for the common good. Church, you see, isn't about you. It's not about me. Look, check me. I can speak in tongues. I can't, by the way. Others on our team can, not me. Check me, I can do the actions in songs. Check me, I'm great at doing one-to-ones. I'm great at leading in the team here. Do we really think about the gifts that we've been given for the blessing of others rather than for ourselves? Thinking about it earlier, just reflecting on this, one writer asked the question, am I happy to serve using my gifts? And am I happy to not serve at times as well? Which I think is a really interesting one. You know, if I, for example, got the gift of music, do I have to every week be playing the piano? Or do I, if I've got a gift of uh, teaching, I've got to lead every single study because it's not going to be good enough without me. Or I, you know, I'm the pastor, I've got to do all the preaching every week. It's got to be... That's a bit needy, isn't it? Like, I've got to do it every time. So I think actually maybe you know, when I'm not on, it's not my turn, I'm part of the body, I'm encouraging. Because you know, maybe if I'm, if, I, if I'm really gifted, I want other people to grow in their gifts. And I'll maybe step back for a while. And it's been lovely to see how our music group, for example, has diversified in the last few years. It's been lovely to see you know, the way more and more people have come on board. Rather than just being you know, two or three people doing it every week. I think that's beautiful. You know, I'm not precious. and No gifts you know, are so unique to this person that we have to have that person doing it. That you know, I need the airtime. I'm so self-important, I'm only happy if I'm doing that thing. And if I'm not doing it, then I'm not going to come to church that week. No, we're part of the body, we're serving together. Because we have a generous spirit who has given us all gifts to serve him. And he's a saving spirit. The first and most foremost gift that he gives is the gift of salvation. And he has come to make the faith of Christ crucified and risen real in the hearts and minds of people who otherwise would be completely dead to it. So just as we close, I want to ask you the question, how might you serve at Highfields? Are you rejoicing in the fact that you're saved here at Highfields? Maybe you're not. And maybe you need to say, Lord, please, by your spirit, open my eyes, that I would see who Christ is and trust in him as my saviour and my Lord. Let's have a moment of quietness and then we'll pray and then we'll sing our final song. We praise you, Heavenly Father, for your sovereign rule of our church. That you're in and through and you're working in all these things and have called us together to be a people. We praise you, Lord Jesus Christ, for giving your life that we might know you and be saved. 
And we praise you, Holy Spirit, for helping us to see the truth of the gospel of Jesus and for gifting each one of your people with gifts to serve you. Lord, we pray you forgive us for the times that we've hid our gift in the ground, or we've hogged onto our gift, reluctant to share and to serve. Please, may we use the gifts you've given us for the extension of your kingdom, not ours, for the blessing of the common good, not our own gain. And please, Lord, would you receive the glory in our lives and in our church. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.